0: Good morning. I love it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your great grace. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for this wonderful morning where we're able to gather together with brothers in Christ to be able to open up your word, to be able to just pause and reflect and know who you are. Father, we pray that this would not just be another time together. But as we dive into your word, that you would have free reign in our lives. Thank you for each one here and for the sacrifices that they have made to be here. And Father, I ask that you would just richly bless them as a result. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In his presence, that's the name of the topic for these next couple of weeks. I'm going to be kicking it off for the next six weeks. We're going to be talking about prayer. Ted is going to be speaking from the pulpit on iChat starting this Sunday. The small groups will be working through iChat material in their small groups. And Ken really felt like talking about prayer and actually praying for these weeks that the uh, series is going on would be advantageous. Ken is in Ethiopia. He will be back on campus on the 23rd. So uh, you remember Bill and Ken and their wives and uh, Joe Robertson and his wife are all over in Ethiopia. They are training some pastors. So if you would remember them over the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm sure that he would greatly appreciate that as well. Our small groups uh, will be running in in conjunction with Ted's sermons that uh, will be starting this week. We'll be looking from the, not only in the sermon series, but also in the small groups on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then also the High Priestly Prayer in John chapter 17. But today, this morning, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about in His presence and some of the passages, or actually one passage, that has really impacted me in the, in the whole area of prayer. But to start that off, I think there needs to probably be a little bit of a discussion around the just a little bit. If I were to ask you for a show of hands, and I'm not going to do that, by the way, praise God, right? If I were to ask for a show of hands of individuals that would say, how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? I'm not sure that many hands would go up. If your hand went up, you were probably lying. But (laughs) not many of us, probably at the deepest part of our being, are truly satisfied with with our prayer life. And that leads us into really the first question that I want to pose to the the tables. And the question for the discussion time is why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? Take some minutes around your table and come up with some reasons and, and be honest. This is one of those those times where you're saying, you know, how am I doing in the whole area of prayer? And not only how am I doing in the area of prayer, but why don't we pray more? Take, take a few minutes and discuss that question. Why don't we fee- pray more? You know, there's a variety of reasons, I think, as, to, as I've thought about it over the years, as to what the underlying problem is here with our prayer life. The bottom line answer really is is that we don't feel a need to pray. We don't feel a need to pray. You know, we feel a need to eat, and when we feel a need to eat, we eat because we're desperate. We feel a need to sleep, and when we feel the need to sleep, we sleep because... That's something that we passionately need. But ultimately, we really don't feel the need to pray. If we really felt the need to pray, we would pray. We desperately need God's help. We desperately need to pray. Yet, because of our position in life, whether or not we we are very comfortable, being very, very comfortable or whatever, we believe that we can either do it in our own power or that we are sufficient enough within ourselves to be able to pull it off. We don't really recognize how desperately sinful we are, how poor, how blind, how needy we really are spiritually, and because of that we just kind of mosey through life doing our own thing. I think there's a couple of contributing factors that go along with this. Uh, not only this bottom line issue of not feeling the need to pray. I think there's some bottom line issues. The bottom line, one bottom line is, is that prayer seems unnatural to us. That's a contributing factor. You know, we're taught that the only way to be able to achieve something is to be able to uh, is to is through action. And prayer doesn't appear to us to be action. In fact, it, it seems to be inaction. And so all through life, from our, from our earliest childhood, you know, the way that we're taught is you achieve things through action. Prayer seems to us to be inaction. And so, consequently, that plays into our difficulty with really forcing ourselves or getting ourselves into a routine of really praying praying more. Secondly, it seems to be somewhat of an admission of weakness, and for guys, that's a big one because we're taught to be strong, independent. We can do things on our own. Raise yourself up from the bootstraps. Let's get it going. And to pray somehow puts it over into a category where, well, now you are admitting that you don't have it all together. Now you're admitting that you really are needy. Now you are admitting that you can't do it on your own. And because of that, there's something within us, especially guys, that say, It sounds like weakness to me, and I don't want to come across as weak. Thirdly, I think that it seems to be unrelated to the actual results. It's very, very difficult for us to be able to tie the answer to prayer to the prayer itself. And we do this all the time. We might pray for healing of an individual, and when that individual then is healed, we say, well, either, gosh, that was a coincidence, or the modern miracles of of, uh, uh, the doctors or the physicians, and it's difficult for us to really be able to tie the answer to prayer, except in some very specific instances, the answer to prayer to the prayer itself. And so because it's unnatural, because it seems like an admission of weakness, because it seems unrelated to the actual result, those contributing factors make it difficult for us to really enter into that, Whole area of prayer. D.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Jesus Christ. And I think that's true. But you know, the interesting part about this whole thing is that Jesus, as we saw last semester, Jesus was the epitome of of dependent upon the Father. And he was always in prayer. We find him in prayer in Mark chapter 1, 35. We see him praying in the morning. In Mark 6, we see him praying in the evening. In Luke 5 and Luke 9, we see him praying in solitude. In Luke 6, we see him praying all night. We see him praying the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. We see him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. the, The son of God took time to be able to pray. And he recognized how dependent that he was upon the Father to be able to accomplish the Father's will through his life. If the Son of God, Jesus Christ, recognized his dependence upon the Father to be able to accomplish the Father's will, how much more should we? But there's a passage that I think that Jesus now ends kind of like with a punctuation mark. He kind of puts a, puts a thunk on there. And a passage that I wanna, want to want to look at this morning, just briefly with you, I want you to open up Luke chapter 18. Because Jesus here kind of puts a punctuation mark on on prayer. And I think that punctuation mark has encouraged me in the whole area of prayer. And I want to share that passage with you. This passage, I think, is, is one of those passages that has impacted my own prayer life very, very deeply. And because of that, it has spurred me on in a, in a lot of different ways. Jesus really adds a punctuation mark, not only to the way that he models prayer, but now in his teaching to his disciples, he really gives an indication of what that prayer should look like through this parable this parable really breaks down into three main sections in this parable obviously we have the reason for the parable in in verse 1 we then have the parable itself verses 2 through 5 and then an application of the parable in verses 6 through 8 so three main sections introduction obviously the reason the parable and then the application the reason for the parable in verse 1 is is obviously one that they should always pray notice what it says verse 1 chapter 18 Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. A parable was to reveal truth to some, hide truth from others. Reveal truth to some, hide truth from others. And so he begins to speak to them in a parable. So a parable models real-life truth. It parallels truth. And one of the characteristics of a parable that is not often thought about but one of the characteristics of a parable is that you have to think about the parable and you have to think about making it making it applicable and because of that that that's the reason that it kind of hides truth from some some people are not willing to work to really understand the parable Jesus in in Mark 4 and other places has given us indicators as to how to interpret parables but teaching in parables to make you think about what's going on, make you think about what's happening so that that inner nugget of truth will come out and actually be applied to your life. But first off, he says, he told his disciples a parable to show them, one, that they should always pray. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer. So he's encouraging them, one, that they should always pray. It's easy to give up. But he wants us to be in continual prayer. He wants us to be, as we'll see later in the, in the, the parable, as, as we've talked about also in the discussion time, the persistence in prayer. But secondly, and not give up. It's easy to become give up when give or to give up when you don't see the right answers or, all, or the answers to your prayer initially. And in fact, in the previous paragraph, if you notice in the previous paragraph leading up to this, Jesus is talking about the end times. And when you start praying about the end times because you don't see the immediate results of that or the immediate answers to your prayer, it's easy to back up and just give up. But Jesus is encouraging saying, real courage, real courage is when you are persistent in prayer. Real courage is when you recognize how dependent that God is the only one that's going to be able to pull this off. And once you come to that realization that God's the only one that's going to be able to pull it off, you'll continue to to pray. Well, why? Because it's easy to become discouraged when the answers do not come immediately. And that's exactly what the previous paragraph really leads into as Jesus now begins to to teach the parable. There's two characters in verses 2 and 3. One is the unjust judge. Notice he says, in a certain town there was a judge, verse 2, who neither feared God nor cared about men. Neither feared God nor cared cared about man. In other words, he was secular and he was also very selfish. He was the epitome, just the opposite of Jesus as he said, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, these are just the completely opposite. He neither feared God, he neither loved the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and he neither loved your neighbor as yourself. And so, neither feared God, nor nor cared about men. Secondly, there was a widow. Now the widow, verse 3, and there was a widow in a town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't really know what the adversary was doing, but all she wanted was justice. She was just looking for someone that would be able to provide her justice to whatever adversarial force that she was facing. You know, the widow in that particular culture, she was at the bottom rung of society. She had no influence. She had no power. And it's very, it's very easy For any of us, when we see someone who does not have that power, does not have that influence, cannot really do anything to us, it is very, very easy for us to just be able to brush them off and pass them by. The individual who has some influence or has some power, we will listen to, we will give the time to, we will be able to dialogue, we will take some action. But the people who have no power, have no influence, have no ability to be able to do anything to us, it's very, very easy for us to just dismiss them and pass them by. But the widow... In that society, not only was she at the lowest rung here, but she was completely dependent upon the society for all of her sustenance. The only way that she was going to be able to find any justice was through the judge. Now think about it. The widow really becomes a very apt symbol for the Church of Jesus Christ because in today's society really the church really has very little influence and very little power in the world uh, not too many people when the church speaks not too many leaders from countries really stand up to rise uh, nobody really listens to the church uh, they're they're pretty well at the bottom rung uh, they may tip the hat, thank you very much, but as far as power, influence, and the ability to be able to guide and lead, not at the top of of the leaders list. And so it becomes a very apt, apt description. And why why is that true in today's society? Why is it true? Because the church is dealing on the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm, and it's difficult for the people in the physical realm to really be able to understand the spiritual realm to begin with, nor do they really care. And so consequently, the church has very, very little power. The difficulty that she faced, though, was in verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and care about it yet, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear out her coming. For some time he refused. It's a continual imperfect tense there, continual rejection. There was a continual rejection by the, by the judge. In other words, it just wasn't one time. It was a continual rejection. He could care less. He was indifferent. Really no, no impact upon him at all. And so consequently, you know, I don't care whether or not the adversary has, has wronged you or not. It doesn't really make any difference to me. Uh, consequently, you know, hey, complete indifference. Well, the judge, though, in verse 5, completely, now, she, he begins to heed her case. He heeds her case. Why? Not out of the goodness of his heart, not out of some, some change that's happened in his heart. The reason is because eventually, so that she eventually won't wear me out with her coming. In other words, it was the quickest way to get rid of her. And none of us have ever been in that situation, Right? that the woman whom god has given to you continues to come and bother you or whatever and sometimes you know it's 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 easy to smile sweetly for a period of time eventually though you know you begin to lose some of your sanctification in that process and and some of that some of that uh, emotional ability begins to rise up into you and finally you say you know do it Whatever it is, woman, do it. Unless she continually wears you out by her coming. So this guy didn't have a change in his heart. He just had a, basically a change of, hey, the quickest way to be able to get rid of this woman is to be able to grant her re- request. And so he does heater her We get to the application. And this is where... This is where Jesus really now begins to lay it on. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. The unjust judge was moved by the persistence of the widow. Secondly, even when the unjust judge was not moved by reverence for God or for concern for for man, he was just moved by the persistence of the widow. But secondly, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? The argument here is from the lesser to the greater. Here what you have is you have an unjust judge, but you have a righteous God. Lesser, unjust judge, greater, righteous God. If an unjust judge will heed a persistent widow how much more will a just God heed his chosen people? And so you have, if this guy is continually bothered by this woman to a place where he gives in, how much more will a righteous God listen to his chosen people? He is good. Will not God bring about, verse 7, justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they will get justice and quickly. Because he is righteous and we're dealing with chosen people. But what's this last sentence doing on here? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now wait a second here. We were just talking about persistence, and we were talking about persistence in prayer, that we would not lose heart. And now Jesus now brings this last sentence on here. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What's going on here? How in the world does that how does that fit? Does persistence have to do with boldness or tenacity? Well, it has to do with both boldness and tenacity. But as I read this passage, you know, the first time years ago, I I read the passage and I said, well, I don't want to be like the persistent widow. I don't want to be persistent to the place where I wear God out. And am I going to be wearing God out by... By persistently going to him, and I was linking God with the unjust judge. But God is not like that. Isn't persistence equal to obnoxious and offensive? I don't want to be obnoxious and offensive before God. And consequently, if that's the case, if I'm going to be persistent, I'm going to wear God out to a place where the only reason that he is stepping back is just to get me out of his hair, That doggone Cecil just continues to come to me. He's wearing me out. I'm going to give it to him. Is that the way that God's looking at it? And for years I began to to wrestle with what was going on. The implication really is is that I have to look at it not from the unjust judge perspective, but I have to look at it from God's perspective. And once you look at it from God's perspective... What do you see? Someone who continues to come because you realize that the only person that's going to be able to meet the innermost being of your needs is God himself. You recognize how completely destitute, desperate, and dependent you really are upon God. And once you realize how completely bankrupt we really are before God and that God is the only one that's going to be able to meet your need, at that point you become persistent. If you uh, borrow ten bucks or something like that from somebody and you really need that ten bucks back from that individual, what are you going to do with that individual? They're the only one that's going to be able to give you back that ten bucks. And you're going you're gonna to kind of pester them, aren't you? you know, why? Because you are completely dependent upon that ten bucks, but also they're the only ones that are going to be able to meet that need. And because of that, at that point then, you recognize, I am going to go because I am desperate, I am dependent, and they are the only ones going to be able to meet the need. And that's exactly what God sees at that point. As we are persistent, it's the attitude of our heart. It's the attitude of our innermost being that now comes to grips with who we are and we recognize, I am bankrupt here. I am bankrupt. The only person that's going to be able to meet my needs is God himself. And as we come with that attitude, it's not just a checklist, it's just not a thing, but recognizing that we can have all the slickest stuff going, but God's the only one that's going to be able to bring some fruit. And once we come to that point, we recognize who we're dealing with. The lack of persistent prayer then is indicative of a lack of faith. The lack of persistent fear, because now you really recognize, you're saying, basically, I can do it on my own. I am independent. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. The Bible refers to that as sin. Flat out, bottom line, independent, shaking your fist at God, called sin. And you recognize once you come with the attitude of dependence upon him that really that persistence in prayer of coming before him is recognizing, I can't do anything here. You're the only one that's going to be able to pull this off. Lord, you do the work. Secondly, the state of your prayer life really reveals the condition of your faith. Because if you are totally desperate, if you are totally dependent, you will pray. You ever notice when people start to pray? It's when everything else that they've done has is, is failed. We are at the end of the rope. We've done everything else. Well, I guess it's time to pray. And sometimes I think God takes us down to that place where we recognize and we are totally bankrupt in and of ourselves. brings us to that place where we realize... Yeah, you are totally bankrupt. But that should be the attitude of life. And that's why when, when he says, I want you to always pray and not lose heart. Always pray. You will always pray when you realize how bankrupt you are. It really has to do with dependence upon God. Dependence upon God. And how desperate you really are. How desperate are you? How bankrupt are you? You see, now we're getting down to the gut. Now we're getting down to the gut. We walk a good... you know, we talk the talk, but you know, are we going to walk the walk? And you... you you can't, you can't just show this one. It really comes down to the attitude of how do you see yourself before God? And once you see yourself before God, is he's the only one that's going to be able to pull it off, that we can have all the slickest stuff, but ultimately he's the only one that's going to be able to pull it off. At that point, you are on your knees. You are on your knees. How's your prayer life? Most importantly, how do you see yourself before God? If you go into prayer with just kind of a checklist, tick, 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 and you just kind of wrote memory without the attitude, really independence of desperateness before you, just kind of going through the motions. But once you realize that He's the only one, He is the only one that's going to be able to meet your needs, just like the widow recognized that that judge was the only one that was going to be able to bring about justice. She was totally desperate. She was totally dependent upon Him. And because of that, she was going to be continually going because she knew that the only way that she was going to be able to get any satisfaction, the only way she was going to be able to get any justice was to be able to go. And Lord, please, please, please. Do you see yourself that dependent? Do you see yourself that desperate? Do you see yourself as totally bankrupt before God? Ben's going to, the lesson really is, is the most powerful influence on earth is prayer of a faithful person. The most important thing that we can do is pray. The most important thing that we can do is pray. Ben's going to come up. He's going to lead us in a time of prayer. take us before the throne of grace.
1: Well, thanks, Doug. <clears throat> guys, I'm just going to sit up here and lead us through a quick prayer. I think it makes a lot of sense to end today on prayer. But uh, I do want you to take on these blue cards, these takeaway prayers. We're going to have them every week for you. And if you guys could um, get your pens out, I want to give you three specific prayers to be praying for this week. Um, for those of you that, that that know Steve, Greg, Steve, are you here? No, for those of you that know Steve, he lost his dad. Uh, his dad was killed two days ago, we're going to have the funeral up here. But uh, he and his family, the Greg family, G-R-E-I-G, are going through, uh, I can imagine, a, a pretty rough time. So if you would, just, whether you know him or not, just pray for him, uh, that God would just pray. Uh, just Give them peace and comfort and just showers of love and grace on them. Uh, Ken Miller, our uh, courageous leader, is with Bill Egner and Joe Robertson and their wives. They're in Ethiopia this week. They just got there probably last night or so. Uh, they're going to be training like 200 or something pastors on everything from ministry to how to handle witch doctors. So, um, yeah, pray for them pray that that God would really use that to to not only bless those pastors, but to bless Ken and Bill. And then finally, uh, Rick Johnson is in India, a lot of you guys know Rick, he doesn't go to our church, but he attends uh, Wednesday morning, so if you'd pray for Rick Johnson and their ministry in India. And uh, uh, when I got up this morning, um, I got in my wife's car because it was parked behind my car, and... I, I flipped on the car, and the first thing that I heard was just blaring K-Love music, you know, 98.7. So I had the Beach Boys. I think it took Beach Boys and Bruce Springsteen and one other song I, I didn't recognize to get me to church. And uh, I had intended to pray this morning in the car. That's just a time where I can find peace and quiet. And I just, I got here, and I was like, oh, man. So then I had to run around and start doing stuff. But just the distractions that exist in our lives, um, uh... My prayer for you guys for the next six weeks and beyond is that God is going to filter out those distractions and and give you times of peace and quiet to recognize your bankruptcy like Doug talked about and recognize his character of grace and power. So if you would, I'm going to go ahead and lead us through, and then we'll get you guys out here in three minutes. Uh, Father God, we acknowledge... uh, that we as men here at Christ Chapel have not been the spiritual leaders um, that that you've called us to be, uh, Lord. We fall short in so many different areas. Um, that sometimes it's even laughable that that we're that you've chosen us to be your church, uh, Lord. I I pray that uh, that we as men would recognize our bankruptcy and that we would depend on you to break down uh, these barriers that exist in our lives that uh, discourage us from prayer uh, these lies that uh, that prayer is not important and that prayer is inaction and uh, is worthless compared to our action and our abilities. Uh, Lord we ask that you would open the eyes of every man in this room uh, and every man that's going to be participating uh, to our need for prayer uh, as we move towards Christ-likeness. Um, Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide our prayers, not only today, but for the rest of this series and beyond. Um, Lord God, we confess uh, our sin before you, and every single guy in here uh, knows it, and, and even some that they don't recognize that sin in their lives. God, I pray that you would expose those things, that sin, that that attitude of independence in our lives, and uh, and that you would just spotlight it and that we would depend on you to, to cut it out of our lives, God, and replace it with uh, Christ-likeness. Um, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would begin a mighty work here at Christ Chapel and that you would start it right here in this room with these men. We pray that you would prepare their hearts, that you would expose areas of our lives that need your transforming touch, that we just can't muster up the ability to to transform on our own. Um, Lord, we pray that you would search us out as only you can and that you would reveal to us that we need your transforming touch. Um, Lord, we pray for the men of Christ chapel. We pray for a spirit of brokenness. Uh, We pray that they would seek you first in your righteousness. Uh, we pray that here at our church, you would raise up servant leaders, that uh, that you would make men after your own heart uh, here at Mighty Men and, and throughout the rest of our church. Uh, Lord, we ask you to give all of us a spirit of wisdom. Uh, we ask that you would reveal uh, to us a deeper knowledge of yourself every single day that that would deepen Uh, and that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see things from your perspective, God, from a heavenly perspective, uh, free of fear and frustration and all the other things that come with our earthly perspective. Um, Lord, we close today by thanking you for what you're going to do. Lord God, I thank you for the transforming work you're going to do in these men's lives uh, in the next six weeks and beyond. And Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be just another point on the up and down cycle of spiritual ups and downs, uh, but that these men would, would would find a foundation in you and that you would build what you want them to be, who you want them to be, uh, on that foundation in, in our lives, God. We love you. We pray that you would glorify yourself with this time and the rest of our series. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.